You're listening to the Motormouth Podcast. In each episode, we sit down with a special guest and discuss their life, career, and their love of motorsport. Motormouth is a brand new motorsport community, so make sure you download our app packed with the latest motorsport news, live race times, and exclusive content. You can also create your own personalized profile, chat with other motorsport fans, and share your opinions with the Motormouth community. For more information, you can visit our website, motormouth.club, or tweet us at motormouth.club underscore find us on instagram at motormouth underscore official or on facebook just search motormouth our first guest was south african racing driver callan o'keefe he came in to chat to us about restarting his racing career with the help of none other than fernando alonso at just 22 callan talks openly and honestly about his racing career to date going up against the likes of Charles Leclerc, fighting for drives, as well as what it's actually like to be a racing driver and what advice he would give his younger self. There's a bit of beard and big feet chat in there for good measure too. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Motormouth podcast. Um, we're very lucky to be joined today by a very special racing driver and a uh, guest presenter here in the form of Harry. Hello, Harry. Hello, thanks for having me on. You are most welcome and we're very lucky to have Callan O'Keefe with us today. How are you, Callan? I'm good. Thank you for pronouncing my name right. First of all, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, how many times that. do you get Callum uh, on a regular basis? I think I should probably just change my name. It might be a little bit easier. I, I won a British karting title. And both my names were spelt wrong on it. So, if anyone sees Callum O'Keefe, please let him know that he's a he's <laughs> I a quite British like champion. <laughs> it's a good. It's got a good ring to it. Um, I, I'm considering changing. Yeah, well, the, the, the first note on my uh, on my little notes is Callum question mark exclamation mark. Just, <laughs> just call me Sea Dog. Whatever's, yeah, whatever's easiest. Perfect. Sea Dog. Before we get going, <laughs> we've got a little treat for you, and I know you're going to be completely overwhelmed with this. I've brought you a motormouth cap. Every day oh. with you, Tim, is the best day ever. I know. I it, know. It feels like Christmas. I have it in my hands what quality and you know what i'm just going to put it straight put on it my straight head. on Fresh and there we the go box, oh, as it's well. even got the it's got it still on yeah how do i look guys tell you me look, you beautiful look i'm sorry to wreck your hair i well you know it is perfect it's, it's one of those <laughs> I'm not sure things, i really wrecked it <laughs> well, well that's <laughs> he's taking it off already on board i mean well you talked about the hair tim um it's one of my uh, best features i would say you know i'm not massively quick in a racing car but i do have a good head of hair you so. do have beautifully thick hair it is it's it's luscious and thick you'll we'll never go bald that's always Ooh, no you say that but oh. my granddad went bald when he was 24 Ooh. so that is tempting fate and if i lost all my hair i don't think more, I would air, more aerodynamic though. that is very true yeah might not help that I've got a helmet on, so maybe uh, I might just get the goggles no. going. Bit retro. Big fan of the retro racing stuff anyway, so let's start another trend and see where we're going. Oh. Now listen, um, Callan, I want to just run a few stats past you that we've, we've gathered over the last couple of days while we were researching you. South African born. Yes. Residing in the UK, clearly. Yes. You're 22 years old. It feels like you've done an awful lot in your 22 years. Yes, I, I've been very lucky. Um, I, I only started motorsport quite late because my family's not from it. I, you know, I was born in South Africa, lived in South Africa my, my whole upbringing. Um, and motorsport doesn't unfortunately have a great deal of, well, I wouldn't say there's not a big deal of following, but there's not a lot of opportunity there. Um, but the Williams BMW cars decided that they'd do their pre-season testing there because it's nice and warm. Handy. So my dad decided to uh, take me to Kailami, me and my brother, to go and watch. And we were standing at the mineshaft corner, which is a quick left-hander into quite a, a slow sort of medium-speed right-hander. And I remember the first time the cars came around and I could hear the sound and feel it through my chest. I was about four years old and I had a, a little toy rabbit and I threw it up into the air jumped my height and was just shouting with so much enjoyment. And I think that's the day my dad looks back and goes, it all went wrong. Because from that day forward, I knew I just wanted to be a racing driver. Um, and unfortunately, like I said, because my family's not from motorsport, it took me eight years of begging and 23 kilos of weight loss before I eventually got my first, you know, 1994 CRG, I wouldn't say terrible chassis, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a masterpiece, put it that way. So um, hold on, you were 20, you've lost 23 kilos. I weigh less now than I did when I was 10, 11 years old. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed food, which was <laughs> well, part of the reason why, but I also had some uh, insulin problems when I was growing up, but I tried everything. I cried every day. I begged every day. You think of anything imaginable. I tried it to try to get my parents to buy me a go-kart. 
And then eventually I worked out that, okay, a go-kart weighs this much, I weigh this much, and I used that as a kind of bargaining tool to my parents to say, if I get down to the weight limit for Minimax, which is a kind of category, I get a go-kart. They set me the challenge to do it in a year, and I did it in 10 months. So, yeah, then they had no choice. I got my go-kart, and the rest is, is history, and here we are today talking about hopefully Amazing. what's been quite a good career with plenty more to come and how did you go about losing all that weight i mean how old were you this is when you're what 10, 10, year, 10, 10 years 11 old? yeah it was it was just after my 11th birthday I came so how does a 10 year old suddenly think right that weight loss quite a mature way of thinking yeah as well yeah i i tried everything i yeah. think that was the point it was like my last resort there was literally nothing left and i think my parents obviously obviously saw it as a way to get me healthy mm. Growing up in South Africa, you play a lot of sport. You you know you literally go to school from seven in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon, and you spend five hours playing sport. It was just a case of, I had a I have an older brother. He's got a very different metabolism to the one I have, and I used to eat the same amount as he does. Right, and he doesn't put on weight, and I do. And then it was just a case so of metabolism always gets you. Yeah, exactly. And you know, proper physical training. You know, going to the gym and listening to the help of a trainer, sorting out my metabolism, sorting out the kind of chemical imbalances. And the rest kind of took care of itself. But the first six months was was properly difficult. I was the only one who would go to school during the day and have a salad in his lunchbox while everyone else was having crisps and chocolate. And so, is, this, is this something you still have to work on? Because for those listening, um, Callan has the sharpest jawline I think I've I ever know, seen. all I've been able to look at it's since the last half hour. David minute, Coulthard yeah. must be I, Well, I worrying. think David Coulthard might be my real dad. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing speculation out there, but there is a I heard he toured South Africa in the early 2000s. Mm. DC, if you're listening, dad, come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, uh, that, that determination, though, from like quite a young age, was that because sport was just always in your life? You say, obviously, growing up in South Africa, it's all quite sporty. But didn't your dad want you to sort of, he had your arm being a football player um i think it was anything to do with the sports we knew growing up so my dad is south african big into rugby so he pushed that i was quite a good cricketer and i was quite a good footballer as well so when i was about eight years old i had trials at two premier league football teams which i turned down to prove to my parents i was serious i was a fairly good goalkeeper um it helped that i covered most of the goal but i was still able to be quite athletic (laughs) um yeah yeah. and it, it was one of those things where I think because my parents didn't know how to get me into it, they kind of pushed me down the more traditional route. Yeah. But when I sort of took their arms and guided them, um, you know, they were amazingly supportive. They did everything they could. They gave up countless weekends. Um, you know, my, my other two brothers, they didn't really get to see their dad because they, he was always away with me traveling all over Europe and, and at that point, you know, in little bits in South Africa racing. So, yeah, I think it was just a case that they didn't know how to get into it. And when you're so far away in South Africa, it's quite daunting because you, we don't really have a huge motorsport scene. Um, and it's something, if, if I'm lucky enough one day to get to Formula One, I'd love to try and change to give other kids who would like to do it the same opportunity and get them on the same road. At what point did you make the move from South Africa and, and head over to the UK and Europe to start applying your trade? Well, it wasn't so much to apply my trade as it was so much the fact that my brother got accepted into a very good school. So when I started racing, you know, I, it's in South Africa, you can't quantify how good you are because if you race a national karting race, there's nine kids on the grid. Mm. You come over here, there's 35, 40. So you don't really know where you are. Um, but my brother got accepted into a very good school over here. You know, education is very, very important to my parents. And because he got that scholarship, my parents were looking at, at moving over anyway um, because South Africa, as lovely a country as it is, unfortunately, there's there's a bit of a lack of safety at times. Um, and we just had a little brother who had been born, and so it wasn't the best place for him to be. Um, thankfully, it's, it's getting a bit better now, and it's it's continually improving. But it's it's one of those things where the opportunity came, my parents moved, and it was only really when we moved over here that my career properly took off, and I was able to start taking it seriously and start racing You know, my local club championship, which I won in my first year, and then... My parents decided, okay, well, we have enough to do this properly for one year. So out of Mini Max and Junior Max Rotax and straight into KF3 in Europe, which for the people who don't know out there, that was the year that uh, Alex Olbin was world champion. Max Verstappen was second. And, and I was, uh, I would say, lucky enough to finish third. In my, in my second year of That's racing, I was third shabby. in the world. Yeah. I, I remember going around, we were racing at Braga in Portugal and... Um, yeah, like I said, I was I was a bit out of my depth, I would say, in terms of experience, because all these kids had started when they were eight years old, yeah. and I was, you know, 14 at the time. In my second year, and, and I managed to find myself in the final of the World Champs, and my pace had been good the whole year, but I just couldn't translate it into good results racing. And I started ninth, um, made an absolutely awesome start, 
at this point as well, I'd gotten really sick. I'd gotten a water-transmitted virus while I was away in Braga, 40-degree heat, and I had lost about six, seven kilos over the course of the weekend just from being ill. So long karting final, kid with not much experience, body's not used to it. It was pretty difficult, but I found myself within kind of four laps in P3, hunting down Verstappen and Alban and thinking kind of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm on the podium in the world champs in my first year. I then caught Max, overtook him around the outside of turn two and started hunting down Alex. And I was just, compl- I, I still remember having this moment going down the main straight and watching my mechanic like gesticulate at me, just, just go, 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 go. Um, and then unfortunately my, um, my lack of strength from the illness got the better of me and, and I fell a bit back and Max got past me again, but I managed to hold off Gasly and, uh, another kid called Pedro Hildebrand, who's a three times world champion now in karting. Um, so it was a fairly good grid that year and, yeah, and take big home, names. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And take home that first world championship podium, which I think was the kind of key starting point in my career and really sort of put me on the map with everyone. Okay, amazing. And, and racing against the likes of Verstappen, what was he like back then oh. as a driver? Was he, did he have a similar, could you see that sort of um, determination and, and pure talent that we see today? I bumped into Max in 2015. I was racing in Formula Renault and he was doing a demo run um, at Assen of the Gamma Racing Day. And um, we, we had a bit of a, a kind of, I wouldn't say it was a, a hatred relationship in karting, <laughs> especially the second year when I raced KF3 you know Alex moved up um, a load of the kids moved up and then it was really me and Max the whole first half of the year especially and it kind of all culminated the second round of the year when I was leading in the wet by about a second at a track called Le Conquer. and if you've got a second gap you, you look over your shoulder on the last lap and you think it's happy done. days it wasn't done for Max Max pulled off what I thought was one of the it was borderline let's put it that way and by borderline I mean it was a bit of a T-bone maneuver. <laughs> Won the race. And after the end of the race, I, I put him on the grass and next to the tyre barriers. Just as a kind of, you know, we're going to be doing this the whole year. Yeah. Don't think you can get the better of me like that. And from that point onwards, it was kind of a, yeah, it, it wasn't a good relationship between the two of us. And we spent a year sort of beating each other up out on track, fighting for po- podiums and poles and stuff like that. No fist fights off the track, though? No there, fist or... fights off the track, yeah. thankfully. <laughs> a 14-year-old kid getting involved, and it's probably not the best thing. Um, but, you know, then I, I bumped into him in 2015 and, and spoke to him, and we caught up, and, you know, we had a good 15, 20-minute conversation. I think with age kind of comes maturity, and, and obviously I'm, I'm very grateful to have raced against those kids because... I came in and I didn't know what to expect and you just saw this level and the years that I raced were obviously the generation was very very good you know you had Gasly, Ocon, Leclerc, you know Verstappen it it was a good group of kids um, and a few others that have gone into sports cars as well and and made a good career for themselves so you kind of come in and you see that level and you just think that that's the norm so you go into it you push yourself to that level and then all of a sudden you know you find yourself there with them you kind of it goes away and then when I went into Formula BMW it seemed a bit easier thanks to them so I learned a lot I uh, made a few rivalries also I wouldn't say mates but obviously got a lot of respect for the kids who are there now and it, it equally proved to me that you know I believe I'm good enough to be there everyone does who does this but it kind of shows that if I can beat them back then I can still beat them now mm, so sure. it kind of keeps me driving and keeps me hungry even during the difficult times to keep my keep my dream alive and keep fighting to get to Formula 1 is it is it difficult when you see obviously the likes of Leclerc Alvin Gasly Verstappen all sort of you know F1 really skewing towards that younger driver now is, is it very difficult to, to avoid comparing yourself to them or do you have to sort of stay in that mindset but you just got to focus on yourself and, and your journey I think up until about 2016, it was very difficult for me. So a kind of bit of a background, obviously, I did my two years of karting. The second year I did, uh, I did another year of KF3 and I was vice world champion. I lost that just to Charles Leclerc and um, I was British champion as well. And then I got picked up by Red Bull to be part of their F1 junior team and taken straight to single seaters. Um, that was a bit of a baptism of fire again, three years in motorsport and then straight into single seaters, Formula BMW and, and under the watchful eye of Dr. Helmut Marko. Um, Very watchful eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, was, yeah it was, again, a, another big learning curve and, and taught me out of my game again. And then kind of difficult, difficult second year after a really, really good first year in Formula BMW and I won half the races. I was on the podium for the rest and there was only, there was only three I think I wasn't on the podium for. 
Um, and then a very difficult second year due to circumstances completely outside of my control. Got picked up by Lotus within three days after parting ways with Red Bull and had a very good year in Formula Renault Euro Cup immediately up the front in what was a third-year championship. You know, names like Louis Delatraz, who are now in F2, Nick DeFries won of that year. Alex Alban again was yeah. there. Leclerc was there again. So it was a good group of, of kids again to be racing against. And obviously the mental sort of thing of being dropped by Red Bull was difficult and I managed to overcome it. Was doing well and then circumstances again outside of my control to do with Lotus meant that my career massively tailed off because I, I, my family doesn't have the budget to do this and, and keep going. I really relied on, on the budget that these teams are bringing for me. So 2016, I didn't race except for two sort of free drives. Um, and that was the hardest point. The, fir- the first part of 2016 when I wasn't racing to sit and watch all these kids as they were creeping their way up to Formula One and being sat at home thinking, you know, where did it all go wrong? Um, but then you kind of face a crossroad at that point. You either give up or you realize that the cards haven't been dealt in your favor and you have to try and push to to make it come back to you. So, Was there ever a point where you thought, this is it, this is the end of the road for my career in motorsport? Loads of times. I mean, even you know, 2018 last year when I wasn't racing, you kind of sit there and you go, okay, I came back and then I'm out again. You, you sort of sat there going, okay, now this is the end. But I... People have no idea how much hard work goes on behind the scenes. They just see kids circulating and think, oh, that's, that's a nice life to have. Um, they don't see the, the, you know, the late nights till three o'clock in the morning doing sponsorship proposals. and Yeah, hustling. Know, hustling, yeah. exactly. Working as an instructor and a driver coach to fund your life and learn and keep active and keep learning while you're not racing and effectively buy free track time and yeah. free experience. And then getting home and, and having to do your training for three hours, finishing at one in the morning, and then going on to do the rest of it that you need to do. Yeah, the, um, the work isn't just on the track. It's exactly it's more, sorry, or almost more off the track. And if you don't it, do yeah. that work, you don't get back onto it. Yeah. And then it's about finding right place, right time. And, and if you do get lucky enough to find it, as I have been with uh, the backing of Mr. Alonso, um, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for him, I would be sat on the sidelines. And, and now in, in a month's time, I'm racing at Monaco, the race before Formula One. Yeah. So, Well, listen, hat tip to you. A motormouth hat yeah. tip yeah. Um, <laughs> to you nice for keeping going. Because <laughs> we, we saw each other, I think, I think we met for the first time. It must have been about three years ago now. Yes. Um, I can't remember where we met, but it was a nice hotel next to a, uh, a river. I can't remember where it was. Somewhere in the UK. Near Donington Park. There we go. Yes. And, um, and I think at the time you were out of a drive. Yes, and we were talking. It was in my driver management days, and we were talking about management and sponsorship and all yeah. these kinds of things. And you were sort of trying to find a way to get back into racing, and it was all looking a little bit shaky, shaky. Yeah, at that point. Is the word I would use. And so to come from there, where there's literally nothing on the horizon, I think it's fair to say, to where you are now, is is amazing. And um, and like I say, kudos for keep for keeping going and keeping sticking at it. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's one of those things where we're we're all here for a. A reason that's why Motormouth hopefully will be a great big success is because we're all so passionate about motorsport. Nice plug, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it's the truth, you know. I, I think there's a bit of a conception with drivers that it, it's almost not cool to be a fan of the sport we all love. Whereas I love the history, I love all the stuff that goes on around it. That it comes to a point where you sit there and you go, okay, well, I would, I would love to go get a regular job and be financially stable and have weekends and Where's not get the fun in that. Exactly. Yeah. Where's the fun? Because it means I'll never get to drive a race car again. Yeah. And I want to be involved. And in, if it was up to me, I'd spend every weekend at a racetrack. And that's exactly what I'm doing now with my coaching and instructing and stuff like that. So it's one of those things where we're all kind of united by this common passion for this amazing, if you want to call it traveling circus. Yeah. So the thought of it not being in my life was never ever an option. Sure. You just keep going to to get it done until you eventually get there. I want to come on to Fernando Alonso, obviously. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, you mentioned there the coaching. Tell us a little bit more about that. You know, how, how has this come about and, and who you're looking after and how's that going? So when we met in 2018, it was this, just the start of the year. Um, I didn't have a drive. I was fresh off the back of a, a fairly successful campaign in British F3, but I did it on a shoestring and then I decided I'm, I'm never going to do it again unless I can do it properly. Um, and, um, I kind of worked out that if I wanted to keep doing this, I had to stay relevant. Um, number one, I had to remind people that I've not just disappeared because I would, you know, if you go away from a paddock, people forget about who you are very quickly. And I, I kind of worked out that I need to keep furthering my own experience that if I get a chance, 
I can I can be ready for it. And equally, when when I was growing up, I started off quite late. I didn't. I had a great backing in Ricky Flynn Motorsport. You know, Ricky is a bit like a second dad to me, and, and he was amazing in bringing me up through my career. But when I got into single seaters, I never really had a, a proper coach who just looked after my interest and developed me as a driver. So I kind of wanted to give something back to the younger kids who I believe in, and it kind of killed two birds with one stone and say, look, I believe in you. I'd like to help you out and learn from my own experience and equally learn from you because I believe you're good. So you can help me as well. And I started working with Jonathan Hoggard in, in British F4 at the kind of middle of the year. He had a very good start to the year and it got quite shaky in the middle. Um, we managed to turn it around at the back end of the year and he, he took the last five out of six pole positions and won the last five out of nine races and went from PA to P3 in the championship. And, uh, Obviously, that went quite well, and, and now I'm looking after little Luke Browning, a Ginetta Jr. graduate, similar to myself, started racing quite late, no karting experience, doing it really on a, on a budget, um, but genuinely really, really talented kid, doing it with a very small family-run team as well, who are doing a, a mega job to take the fight to the big guys, um, Richardson Racing. So we're all walk- working together as part of this lovely uh, unit together, and um, you know Luke has gotten three podiums in the first six six races so far this year, despite... A lot of mechanical bad luck, um, and hopefully we'll we'll press on and, and do a, a good end to the season. And, and we don't really know where he's going to end up, but hopefully he'll be up the front. And how old is he? He is set, just turned seventeen. So okay. complete polar ends of, of the scale, and that's the thing that's really fascinating about looking after young drivers. I'm kind of I wouldn't say over the hill, but I'm out of that seventeen oh, year that old makes stage. Me feel old. Yeah, you, you know you know what I'm talking about. It's one of those things when you're seventeen years old and you, you kind of watch the parents say something and you're looking at the kids shut it down because it's not cool for mum and dad to suggest something that actually might help you in your career. And you're kind of watching it from the outside to probably where I was when I was seventeen. Mm. And I remember I did the first kind of half weekend of coaching and you just want to ring up all the people you'd worked with before and just apologize for the times when you're a bit of a dick, for lack of a better word. Um, so People must know that. No, Because you're young and, you're, you know, and it's racing. You're on a knife edge the whole time. There's so yeah. much at stake because it is your life. You give up your social life. You know, when I was at school, I was primed to have really good results as well. And it was like I was either at a desk working, I was at a gym or I was at a racetrack. Mm-hmm. You don't have friends. You don't have a life. So it can get quite um, hot-headed sometimes. Did you, did you do university at all? No, no I, I, did, I did GCSEs. Yeah. I got all A's and A stars and then Red Bull pulled me out yeah. of school to focus solely on my racing, which yeah, was, was probably the, the right thing to do. But obviously I, I kept going. I did a, a home mechanical engineering and motorsport engineering degree by myself in 2016 when I didn't race. Wow. Yeah, so I could Impressive. give back yeah. and, and kind of make sure that I knew what I was talking about from my own stuff to to build my own racing knowledge. And equally, if I wanted to go down the coaching stuff, I could. So kind of open two doors that way and, and yeah, makes you a much better racing driver for sure. How much is it these days about, obviously, you've got to have the skills on track, you know, to perform and if you want to reach that, that level of Formula One. But how much is it these days about you as a driver, you know, and your social media interaction and sort of treating yourself as a brand. Yeah, how, because, you know, back in the day, it probably wasn't, you know, obviously sponsorship's always been, as you all know, Tim, always been prevalent in Formula One. But nowadays it's, you know, how many retweets did you get? How many likes on your Instagram? And that, that translates to getting more, you know, getting more people following you and more support on track. It's a bit of a vicious cycle, I would say, because I, I love interacting with fans. I love interacting with people who are passionate about motorsport. Am I passionate about updating my social media? Finished P3, great race. You know, it's, I'm not that kind of person. I'm more, if you want to call it real, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for lack of a better a way of putting it. Um, so I don't like that side of things, but it is necessary. You know, if you're looking for a lot of money, which it, it does cost to go racing now because the cars are far more advanced. People are doing unlimited testing and just generally the, the level is so high even, you know, Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula Renault, it's like mini Formula 1 for the people who have never seen it. Um, and the engineers I'm working with this year are from a Formula 1 background and have had many years of F1 experience. You, you have to do it. You have to be able to put yourself out there and show that you're an exception in order to attract sponsorship and investment and, and attract opportunity. But I, I don't think it's as simple as get good retweets, yeah. get loads of money, no. go racing. You, it all spirals together. And I think if you, can, you have an interesting story... You do a good job out on track and you, you kind of are some, you are the person you are away from the circuit. You're more likely to just build that organically and, 
and build it more naturally as well. Yeah. You know? Authenticity, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's so difficult when you've got so many racing drivers out there all going for the same thing, you know, whether that's getting to Formula One or getting to Le Mans or whatever it might be. And to stand out on social media is so difficult these days and have an interesting story or create unique content that no one else is doing or putting together a sponsorship deck that stands out from the crowd is a huge challenge. Exactly. And I think that's, that is a bit of advice to kind of young racing drivers who are listening you never really know who's watching you i got you know i did a test at monza a month ago in a fia f3 car what used to be fia f3 was from amersford hadn't driven in two years and by the end of the second day i was p1 and six tenths up the road and there were people watching off the back of it and that's how i got this amazing opportunity so that's the first bit of advice but equally be be who you are and separate yourself from the kind of corporate racing driver you know, you, you have to you have to put on a good face and you have to be good for your sponsors and good with the people you're representing. But do that in your own way and always be true to the kind of person you want to put out there, to the brand you want to put out there. You'll separate yourself and equally it'll be a lot easier to kind of keep that up when you get up into Formula One and you're doing, you know, hundreds of media what appearances a year a day whatever you have yeah, to do yeah, right there. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it feels a bit like some of the, the the current crop of formula one stars a lot of the guys that you used to race with so you know albon for example and, and lando norris who is doing a, a terrific job with his socials yeah. did you see the post he put on the other day the chinese one yes. after the yeah. shooting star bag raiders meme that space. was brilliant you know we want to see more of that because that shows his personality exactly you know you don't want to dry historically you know you have these guys stuck behind a visor they when they come out they don't say anything they're not media trained to say yeah. and all of a sudden you've got this young crop of drivers in F1 who are actually breaking the mold a little bit and showing us a bit of personality which is so nice to see one, one thing that I noticed over uh, Baku I don't know whether it's it's, it was, it's Grosjean try, I don't know if he's trying to be sort of yeah. in, with, in with the kids down with the kids and all that but he uh, everyone makes a joke oh you know someone crashes that was Marcus Ericsson's oh, fault oh, yeah. he hit me yeah. and I think uh, Ericsson uh, uh, Grosjean saw that and then sort of tweeted it and put the hashtag banter yeah. and I just thought <laughs> oh, oh you never hashtag that's banter that's not good oh no and I was just like is he, try- is he trying Pat- to be really funny especially or? as a Frenchman you know <laughs> banter it just doesn't it work just doesn't, banter no, no just no nothing just don't say anything Grosjean it's cool no uh, I, I did see that and I I, I also had that yeah. sort of cringe the moment where you're like just blame on the language barrier yeah, yeah literally leave the tweet start retweeting other things and get it down your timeline as quickly as you possibly can but it, it, it's funny you actually bring that point up about the visor because it i think it's something that people don't really realize in motorsport where everything we have as drivers is hidden behind a tinted visor yeah that's why people love it when we have a wet race or a night race where you can actually see yeah, a little bit of emotion the through the yeah. eyes you know yeah. And if we have a shunt and it was our fault and we're a bit embarrassed, we walk down the pit lane and we leave our helmet closed. Yeah. So that's, you know, it, we're always pretty well guarded. And it is nice to see, like you say, the Lando Norris's and Alex Olvins and people posting memes and yeah. GIFs and all that stuff and actually making an effort to show a bit of personality. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. I personally am a huge fan of a GIF. Yeah. Like, oh, I love a GIF. Oh, who doesn't love a GIF? I love a GIF. And the GIF, end GIF though, that's the It's a GIF, surely it's a GIF. Well, it's not a debate. Is it, is it jogging or is it jogging? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, yeah, fair point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one nil me I'll take that first win of 2019 yeah. happy days <laughs> so while we're on the subject of Formula 1 obviously we just had Baku um, not the most thrilling Baku race mm. I think we've ever seen um, give us a little take on your thoughts of the season so far where you see it going who's your favourite for the championship this year I think what's really really nice to see is the fact that Ferrari put a bit of faith in Leclerc and he's actually delivering Yeah, it's one of those things where you're kind of going in and He's a rough diamond. He's young. He's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Not just being at Ferrari, but obviously, you know, Charles's external circumstances, if you want to call it that, and the sort of legacy that will go with it. Um, it's really nice to see that, and I hope he manages to stick the fight to the, the older, more experienced generation, because yeah. that will mean that there'll be more opportunities for younger drivers. Um, Do you not think, though, that Vettel is getting a bit of a rough deal at the moment with all this? Because Vettel is number one. Right. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. and Leclerc, 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 Charles, Charles, whatever he's called, 
So he's come in, he's done really well. There's been a few slightly strange calls by the team. Yeah. He's had to follow orders a few times. And people are now starting to say, well, he's clearly quicker than Vettel. Mm. Um, you know, how long is this going to go on for? Um, Vettel is still a four-time world champion. Is he over the hill? I mean, people are writing him off already. Is he still a great driver? Has he ever been a great driver? Did he just have oh, it easy is... when he was with Weber? You know, is he past it? I Oh, well, no, is the answer, obviously. Charles is, again, like I said to you, I raced against all these kids. I've not raced against Vettel and Hamilton and the likes, but you know when everyone is talking how special that generation is. Um, and I think it's one of those things where we saw it when Danny Rick jumped in the car, when Seb was at Red Bull, and, and kind of it was the first time Seb properly got challenged by a teammate. It's hard. You know, we... People within motorsport, they understand it, but... If you've never been to a Formula One race and you've seen how many people are on the cars, that is a fraction of the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. Because while they're there at, let's say, Baku, there's people in Milton Keynes at the factory yeah. or Fiorano, wherever it is, and hundreds of them working flat out. And it's one of those things where to put it all together is so hard that it's, it's clear that Charles has a bit of a pace advantage. But to do the whole job to win a title is something that every little piece has to fall into place. So who's your money on this year? I, I'm, I'm putting an, an outside bet on Bottas. I was going to say the same thing. I, make that three. Yeah. yeah. He's taking it's it to beard. Hamilton. T- it's the beard. It you is. know what? I grew a beard and I did a good job in Monza. So I think it's that. It's the first time I've ever raced with a beard because I couldn't grow facial hair yeah. until I was You've 22. You've got a little bit of a... Uh, it's just come now. Yeah. This is, you know, this is... I the five o'clock shadow. The five, exactly. Yeah. The, um, not, the not, rugged. That you, not that you need to, but to accentuate a jawline, if it you've helps. got a beard, always just do it right here. It does yeah. help. Just under the chin. Yeah. That being uh, yeah. said, you do have an exceptionally well-groomed beard. You oh, have you. strong did, beard uh, game. Did, did we sense this happening, that we'd start the podcast <laughs> and it would be about hair and facial hair? <laughs> we can move on to facial hair, yeah. moisturising, exactly. you know, whatever you want. Well, if you have some techniques, Tim, because you're looking great. Thank if you. you yeah. Let me know. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I think it, Bottas has really surprised me because he's been put in a position where... It was touch and go this season and he really had to up his game. And obviously everyone goes back to that radio message after Melbourne. To whom it may concern, fuck you. And I, I love that. I really, really love that because that yeah. was just a statement and a bit foreshadowing of what's to come. And yeah. it's, you know, Lewis Hamilton is, is probably the most talented driver on the grid. Yeah. Um, and to see someone actually challenging him is great. In but the same car. You know what I think really sort of did it to me? It was just this weekend in Azerbaijan when... Bottas got a bit of a poor start off the line not bad start but Hamilton pretty much got the better start but it's the fact that Bottas managed to hold his own around the outside of the first two corners in Baku of all the players which he wouldn't have done last year no he's a different guy he had to do that he proved you know he's only he's leading by one point that fast as that really comes in handy now, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but he he had to. He wasn't. You know, it wasn't like he just got away clean from pole. No, he had no. to really make it work in those first two. But quarters. he's a different character this yeah. year. There's something. Something's changed, and I don't know whether you know they've got new weight regulations this year, haven't they? And yes. so you know, he maybe he's, he looks a bit beefier. Maybe mm. he's got a bit stronger. But mentally, there something's switched with him. And you know, I met him last year, and he's mm. he was super nice, like. Mm really friendly relaxed guy smiley open and this year there's just a bit more of a sort of steely edge to him and I don't know what, what's happened or what's changed but he's a different guy I, yeah. I think it's probably because every time he gets into the car he's got young Esteban Ocon sat in the garage looking yeah. over him Yeah, it's one of those things where as a driver when you're under pressure two things happen you either crumble or you up your game and all of a sudden you find that next gear you never knew you had mm. and I think that's probably what's happened they've given him another year he did a an all right job last year but didn't set the world on fire um and they've probably you know esteban was unfortunately due to circumstances outside of his own control lost his yeah, seat but yeah. there's no doubting how quick he is and you know he's probably the the next favorite for that seat should bottas not deliver so every time he gets in the car he's got that reminder of that young frenchman who's come up through the mercedes program the last kind of few years before he got to formula one um and that probably promotes you to to up your game take yeah, the risks yeah. because if he doesn't he's not going to win against Hamilton you yeah. need to find that last 
five, six hundreds to beat him because, yeah, he's so naturally talented yeah. and gifted in a race car. Yeah, you've got to be aggressive. I mean, Rosberg was aggressive. that The year that he beat Hamilton, Rosberg just wouldn't take any crap. He was like, I'm going to stick And you could see that aggression progressing season yeah. by season. Yeah. yeah. Learning that actually to beat Hamilton, he just needs to be aggressive. To and the assertive. point where they take each other out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, you know. It doesn't matter because it's, it's, it goes back to that again, going to a bit of motorsport history goes back to that old sort of famous Ayrton Senna thing where he said, I put my car in a position where we're going to crash. And if you turn into me, we'll crash. But next time I go down the inside, you'll turn out or you'll turn out. And I know that every time I want to throw it down the inside, you're going to do the same thing. And it's literally that controlled aggression, millimeter precision. It's the difference between being a world champion and and not. Do you remember, maybe it's a slight sidetrack, what was the thing, what was the first race that you watched that got you into Formula One? I, I don't remember the exact first race because from that moment when I was four years old, yeah, I keep trying to force my parents to watch it with me. So even when I was there that day at Kailami, my, my dad watched like 10, 15 laps and went, okay, yeah, we can go home now. And I was like, one more lap, one more lap, yeah. one more lap, one more lap. And then eventually it got to about five o'clock in the afternoon and he went, can we go home now? One more lap, one more lap. So, so I, it was seeing it in the flesh rather exactly. than just like... Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't, like even, didn't even know it existed. Really? I didn't know. Again, I was four years old and oh, I'm yeah. going back to it. But I, it wasn't like I had seen it on TV or yeah. anything like that. It was a case of literally my dad went, oh, there's Formula One cars here. Let's go and watch because it was a fun Saturday afternoon activity. And I saw this thing and went, oh my, what is that? And kind of yeah. it was from that point onwards, it was like literally trying to do everything i could to try and get myself into that world you know going rental karting in ramberg raceway which was half an hour from where i lived every weekend and my parents bought me a pair of like used gloves and i they were the best things ever and they had their own case and they were on my desk at home and if anyone touched them i'd go crazy but yeah my i i can't pinpoint it exactly but i would say kind of start of the 2000s now Going back a bit. So mm. you've persuaded your family or your family have come over to the UK with your brother. Yeah. He's gone to a nice school. You've gone into racing. You're picked up by Red Bull and Lotus. It's all looking rosy. Life gets a bit challenging. Yeah. And, um, and then you secure a drive with FA Racing. Fernando yes. Alonso, yes. no less. So tell us Who? about this. Sorry? Yeah. Who's that? Yes, some Spanish guy. I think yeah. he's quite quick in a car. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I, I didn't even know it existed. Um, it was all a very well-kept secret. Obviously, like I said kind of earlier, I, I, off the back of a bit of simulator work, I, I jumped in the FIA F3 car with Fernando Ford and did a good job. And obviously someone was watching and I, I actually got an Instagram message that went through to my requests and was about to be deleted. I know. You talk about sort of... Yeah, from who? Yeah. <laughs> this is from... This is from the team. Right. Uh, where they basically just messaged me and said, look, would you like to race Formula Renault? And I said, um, yes, I would love to. And then they sweetened the deal by saying, well, the team we're running is Fernando Alonso's. And I just had this moment where I was like, this can't be real. This isn't, this isn't happening. Through Instagram. Through like Instagram of all of them. Yeah. It's, it was just ridiculous. And I remember kind of responding, going, okay, yeah, just here's my number, call me whenever sort of thing. And I was stood on top of the timing tower at Brands Hatch doing split times for Luke whilst being on the phone to his team manager who was putting me in touch with all the various people I needed to to make it happen. And the first thing I did is I got back in the car and, and I rang my, my lovely girlfriend, Haley, who's put up with more than a lifetime's worth of um, difficult days and... Yeah, she's been very good to me when I've not been in a racing car. If you think toddler without sleep, (laughs) Callan without race car, yeah, it's the same thing. Um, So I rang her up and I told her and she, we both kind of just had this moment where we sat on the phone for 45 seconds in silence and it was like, is this real? Was it emotional? Three days later, the deal was done. And I remember when I got off the phone to the person, I just burst into tears. I was like, this is the best thing that could have possibly we were jumping up and down in the in our flat and it was it's that thing of it's not just the person who it gets to drive it it's everyone involved it's my family who have given up so much time it's my girlfriend who gives up her weekends to you know come to race tracks with me while i'm socializing so that we can spend some time together return on investment all that yeah exactly exactly and 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 now you know my my dad and my mum and my brothers get to come watch me race at monaco it's it is 
the stuff of dreams and it literally came so unexpectedly that even now you can you can probably hear it in my voice it still hasn't quite yet sunk in and did you have any interaction with fernando before not really so it was it was a case of yeah it's done okay we, we need we need suit measurements we need helmet size and at this point i haven't had a new suit since 2014 because when i raced british formula 3 it was either new suit or two sets of tires and i had to go with tires because tires are more important yeah. so i remember being sat there and going I, I, I'm having a new suit and I'm having a new hel- and new gloves that don't have holes in them from oh. 2013. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was amazing in that sense. And then obviously I flew out to Spain a week later and we did the media day with Fernando. And that was the first was time. The first time you met that him? was yeah. the first time I met him. And it was at Fernando Alonso's karting track. And we kind of got given my, my new suit, which it, it was just an off the rack one because my one's not actually ready yet. It'll be ready at Silverstone, which I can't wait for you know, stick on the helmet because that's how late the deal was. And we kind of, all three of the drivers or four of us, because there's also a young karting kid as well, um, we all kind of walked out onto the track and there was just two trucks parked sort of parallel to each other blocking the car. So we all hadn't seen it. And we're all walking down the main straight and it was kind of like this moment of, it's real, it's real, it's real. Walk through the truck where there's a little opening and you see him there and you're like, that's Fernando Alonso. That's two-time world champion, Le Mans winning, almost Indy, Indy 500 winner, one of the best racing drivers that ever lived, Fernando Alonso. And he walked up to me and shook my hand. And the first thing he said to me was, we're so happy to have you on board. Wow. And to go from not having a seat and having literally no prospect to we're happy to have you on board and coming from Fernando. And, and even, you know, he said some amazing things about you know, in the press release and, and has been very, very, uh, very kind in talking about my racing ability and to kind of deal with him for the first time is like, okay, now this is real and this is a really, really good opportunity. So Huge opportunity. And, and to quote him, the man himself, Callum is a true gifted racing driver. That must feel nice coming from a guy like that. I remember when I saw the press release when it went out and I, again, I, I wasn't with my girlfriend. I rang her and I was like, did you see what Fernando said? Did you see what he said? Save it, put it everywhere, put it as my screensaver. <laughs> you know, it was... It, it it's just that thing of as I said before I am I'm as much a fan as I am a racing driver yeah. because I just love the sport and that's what I was first and foremost so to have someone like that recognize it off the back of a few very very difficult years it kind of gives you that motivation you need yeah. and now obviously we're a month down the line I've been working very closely with Fernando and also Pedro de la Rosa as well who okay. is invested in Drivex which is the team that's running it oh, right. so I've got two amazingly talented racing drivers to have access to and I can bounce ideas off of them, you know, give feedback to them, work on my own kind of racing package, if you want to call it that, to make myself a complete driver. How many other drivers have access to that? Amazing. Um, So he's involved day to day. I mean, do you have an awful lot of interaction with him? So we we catch up kind of, he's a very busy man. We catch up as much as possible when he needs to know something or I need to know something. Um, Again, it it feels sort of surreal. He interacts with everything I do on Instagram and and constantly messaging and dealing with his team as well and working how to build this up because we all want it to be something really, really big. Um, And I know that it's a great opportunity to have. He comes to as many races as he can. Obviously, he won't be in Monaco because he'll be busy himself racing yeah. at the Indy 500 just oh, selfish so um, which obviously he's he's gunning for the triple crown but you know he was at Monza when we were there a couple of weeks ago and literally you know our, our debriefs are, are really really long because we're trying to maximize the missed time because I missed all the testing yeah um, and literally he's there he's involved he's going through on board he's looking at data he's offering advice he's you know going over my feedback it, it is literally a case of he's really really hands-on because at the end of the day it's his name on the side of the truck it's his sure. name on the car the very beautiful looking car that it we looks have. amazing we've yeah. got a picture of it on our screen here and it is a seriously cool looking car it it is the best looking racing car i have ever driven it looks even better in person it is it's just the blue chrome when a bit of sunlight comes out is absolutely phenomenal and i have a, a new bell helmet coming for uh, for silverstone as well so first new helmet in, in designed with years. the car in mind or well my i the kind of sort of if you want to call it cherry on top of the whole story is the fact that when i raced in karting had this rather quick rise to the top i was on a fernando alonso kart uh, yeah what? so how oh, how it all kind of comes circle, together yeah. so even more grateful to the fact that you know they not only launched my career but they've given me this massive opportunity to kick started again so it's lovely to be back into the family 
Um, and my initial colours were blue. And now obviously being back in and no longer in, in Lotus F1 junior team colours, which is the last helmet I had. Now it, it's one of those things where I can go back to my old colours and hopefully come Silverstone, there'll be some, some yeah, it will look very nice. To get and what's there. the date of Silverstone? So we've got it for it's our diaries. It's the 10th, 11th and 12th of May. So we support Blanc okay. Pan for half the year um, at a few rounds all over the place. You know, a lovely calendar. Renault Sports Series, obviously Formula Renault Euro Cup as it, as it used to be called and, and still is when it was on the World Series package with 3.5. Um, we go to some amazing circuits, really high-level racing, um, probably one of the strongest junior categories in the world. Yeah. But, you know, we start off in Monza, we go to Silverstone, Monaco for the Monaco, Formula 1. amazing. That's going to be incredible. amazing. Yeah. You know, 12 o'clock, the race before Formula 1 on Sunday. I've, I've not been to Monaco, so I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I only have half an hour to learn the circuit before we go into qualifying. <laughs> So, as, hard, I suppose it's so tight, isn't it? On times, yeah. I, as I like to say, full send, <laughs> maximum commitment. <laughs> just channel my inner Gilles Villeneuve and just get it a bit sideways and, yeah, and hope that it's the best. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you've um, done, presumably, you've been on the sim and you've. At you've the moment, familiar. no, we've, we've not been looking that far ahead. I'm focused fully on Silverstone and getting that done, and then we've got a week break where in between. But I, yeah, I'm. I've got a lovely network of people and, and whilst I have the kind of audience for it, it, it's kind of saying a bit of thank you to everyone who's, who's messaged. It was genuinely overwhelming. The amount of messages I got and goodwill when I got back in a car and thankfully a lot of them have experience about, you know, uh, well, in motorsport yeah. um, and have been very generous in helping me out with, with suggestions and I, I have a really good team around me at, at FA Racing. So, We'll be fine for it. Just need to get in and send it. But yeah, yeah. full focus is, mm. is firstly on Silverstone and maximising it so that we're, we're maximising each round and, and closing the deficit to the front as quickly as possible. Are people starting to become aware of you back home? I I didn't even know people were aware of me here, to be brutally yeah. honest with you. Not like, quite on the billboard. Yeah. No, no, not quite yet. Um, I mean, yeah, when, when I go over there, I, I get myself on, you know, SABC TV, which is like the equivalent of sort of BBC. Um, and there's there's quite a lot going on but it's really difficult to push it because people yeah. don't know what they're really pushing it's like, oh you're racing in formula Renault euro cup what is that yeah you're racing in blanc pan what you know you can't really quantify it to someone who doesn't really know yeah whereas if we had our own equivalent of f4 or formula 3 formula 2 whatever it is just something to step into even just a prominent karting scene mm-hmm. it would sort of take off um but hopefully that will come with time Looking forward to the future, um, you know, my goal is still Formula One or Formula E or just to be a world champion in something and be the very best at the pinnacle of motorsport. Obviously, who knows where it's going to end up in a few years' time. If we look back 10 years from from where we are now compared to, you know, compared to where we are, it's, it's a completely different scale of things. So, mm. Well, for something like Formula E probably would have been, you know, our goal. Yeah. <laughs> Dream world, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Electric-powered cars racing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We know how hard it is for young drivers to make their way up to the likes of Formula One or any other series at the top. You don't come from bucket loads of cash. Um, (laughs) You've got here on talent. But if you could give some advice back to some young drivers who are just starting out, the likes of Luke or or others who may be younger, you know, 14, 13 or, or even younger stepping into their first cart. What advice could you give people who don't come from money to to get to the top of the sport? I think the big thing is set yourself to a world championship standard. You know, I, when I was in karting, I didn't quite realize how physical it is. And, you know, when I did the Red Bull shootout, I hadn't driven a single seater before. I was literally junior level karting, did three months of training because that's how much time I was given to prepare for it after a, a meeting with Dr. Marco. And it was like, oh, okay, I'll be ready. And I jumped in and I got in and I was on the pace straight away. But after about 10 laps, I was turning right and my head was going left because my neck just fell off of my shoulders. And we had to get the pads out to hold it in place, which obviously didn't set the the best precedent for myself. And from that point, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be fit enough two, three categories ahead. And even when I wasn't racing, I was still training to that same level as much as I possibly could. Because you never really know when your opportunity is going to come. And when it does come, you have to maximize it. It, We've all been there. We all want to make excuses as to why we're not winning races. We all want to, you know, make an excuse as to why we didn't want to get on the the bike at 10 o'clock at night or why we couldn't do something. Just try and remove that from your mind as much as you possibly can. And, And everything you do should be 
is this going to help me if my opportunity comes or when it comes? You know, if you put it out there, hopefully it comes back to you. Um, and just do something that separates you. If if it's a case of being the kid who goes and gets the motorsport engineering degree to understand setup or going through the onboards before you go, being more detailed than anyone else, being fitter than everyone else. I, I got that opportunity to race in America um, in 2017 off the back of a text message. Mm. Literally, I woke up and I saw a message on my phone that said, if you get yourself to Indianapolis by Wednesday afternoon, you can race. And I was on the plane and I didn't know what I was racing. <laughs> I was like, text the engineer being like, what is it again? What, what's the car by the way? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, I didn't sleep for four days. The team was, it was their second race in single seaters. They hadn't had any testing. We didn't have any data. I hadn't done anything like it. And we finished fifth in race one. And we were on for a podium when the throttle body failed in race two. And that for me was the point where I sat there and went, all of my excuses are invalid. I've literally just rocked up. Yeah. And the first free practice, I was P3. It's one of those things where you sit there and you go, if you want to be at that level, you have to do it in everything you do. Yeah. And excuses are the biggest hindrance to that. And if I yeah. could go back and shake 14-year-old Callan and just go, just get it done, yeah. I, I would. Mm. So that's my biggest piece of advice. So it's, it's commitment, um, hard work, just say yes. Or, yeah, and take every opportunity. Even if, even if you're scared to do it because you don't think you'd be ready, just get in and do the best job you can. And the little things as well. Value the hard work of other people. The mechanics, the engineers, the yeah. team bosses, they put so much more in than people know staying till four in the morning, sometimes not even going back to the hotel at night yeah. to make sure that we can race. If it's a hot day, go buy your mechanic an ice cream. Yeah. You know, make him a cup of tea or a coffee or whatever. Just do the little things to give back to the people who are giving so much to you. Stay outside your comfort zone. You won't grow if you're in it and just yeah. literally send it. Sound advice. <laughs> send, it. send it. Just send it. That's what you'll be doing in Monaco. Oh, yes. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll send it. Yeah. It, just, I, it was like you on the, uh, the Palmer Sport Day from what you told yeah. me. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you just have to close your eyes and just blindly, you know, floor it, it, it works. Genuinely, and, and I, it really was one of the best days of my life. That I spent a day at Palmer Sports and um, I went with Max Chilton and some of his sponsors probably, I think it must have been two years ago. I can't remember who I had coaching me. He's probably still there. But it was genuinely one of the best things I've ever done. And I learned so much in a day. I mean, I'm not a great driver, as my wife will testify. But by the end of the Wait, day... Is the driver or just on the road? Just generally, yeah. yeah. Just generally. A to B, I struggle. But by the end of that day, I, fe I felt like a racing driver. Yeah. It was an incredible day. And, and that's why a lot of us drivers do the instructing work as well. Yeah. It, it comes back to the part we, we all need money to live. Yeah. Um, because, you know, living is expensive. When you have to adult, it's very hard work. Yeah. Um, yeah. But equally at the same time, it's, you know, I, I've been working at Palmer's now for, you know, the best part of two years when I, when I wasn't racing, that's the other thing I did other than the coaching, I'd go instruct. And now I have experience in everything from a Citroen Saxo to a Ferrari forward day GT3 car. Yeah. And it, you learn so much by teaching someone how to drive and you get someone in and go, okay, um, have you done anything like this before? No, I haven't driven in 10 years, but I'd like to be quickest okay yeah let's go helmet visor down and you know you literally just have a brake on and a brake release and that's it yeah and you learn so much because they're on the edge of spinning they're on a good lap little dab of brake and it brings the front back around you go oh i can do that in my car it's you learn and you're on old tires you're in a heavy car it's i had brake failure at 130 miles an hour Oof. um not naming where it was um and you kind of also realize as well for yourself going back to the comfort zone thing that if you do push yourself massively outside your comfort zone because you slightly misjudge it, you will be able to bail yourself out of yeah. it because I managed to keep the car out of the wall and I wasn't even driving it. So that gives you a bit more confidence to um, find the limits, let's say. Yeah. You know, yeah. And yeah. it makes for a cool story when, when you're at the bar to say, oh, how was your day at work? You know, I, I filed some emails. Oh, yeah, I had brake failure at 130 miles an hour and I'm still here to tell the tale, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If no. I turned up all six foot five of me and size 16 feet of me wanting to try a, a oh, single seater out, how would that work? Oh, it would be great. Yeah. I mean, would you get it? Would you get in it? Um, <laughs> we'd get you in. Yeah. <laughs> we'd get you By in. By any it. means necessary. Um, we, you that, might have just, to duck down the straight. They are the work. biggest feet I've ever seen in my entire life, Those, by the way. Yeah. yeah what size did you say? Wow. 16. UK 16. How is that possible? It's it's the bane of my life, to be honest. I mean, and, and it, that's the reason I'm not a racing driver. I just I had out. the talent. Yeah, you you had all the natural, but it was just, just the footwell. Just never quite worked out. Yeah, just with the foot, needed with that. The feet. I, I mean, don't think you could actually 
drive a car. Because I read an article like, a few years ago when they had reduced the, uh, the, the maximum weight of the drivers. Oh. And it was those times where it was like Adrian Sittle, like, I think he When just Vern went... passed out and yeah. went to hospital in between the first two and races. I think year. it was Nico Hulkenberg said that because um, they try and cut weight any way they can. So they've oh, got to yeah. be strong, but obviously they can't have too much muscle because yeah. then that's just going to weigh the car yeah. down. Uh, and he said to me, he's got, he's, he's quite tall. He's one of the tallest drivers on the grid, yeah. I think. He wasn't then because I think Jensen, Jensen Button was at yeah. that time. But um, he said he's got the biggest feet on uh, on the grid, which I th- and he was only, I think, a size 11. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's even quite big. That's, in the yeah. that's like cutting your shoes away to get them in. I've got yeah. size 9 in the Formula Renault and my feet touch the top of the tub. Yeah. Like I, if my feet were slightly bigger, I wouldn't be able to move my feet yeah. in there. So... If you'd be willing to chop off half your feet, just just half of them. We or, don't want to get rid of something like that. Would that work? Maybe that would work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you said you've got single seater talent. That, yeah, that is true. Or does Sorry. it just yeah. translate the whole way through? Well, I, any car I was in, uh, I was a gift gifted. I that, think you'd so. break the weight limit just with your foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, your the general foot. weight wouldn't work with the car. You'd be really good at preloaded starts though, because that's the hardest yes. thing is getting your foot across on the brake and the throttle. Oh, really? oh easy. You, you wouldn't. Str- you you might double pedal a couple of times but ah. your starts would be mega just have to get into the lead and white line it yeah ex- exactly yeah, yeah. stop it at the apex yeah. make sure no one gets the switch back no, <laughs> no one goes one round the outside me. happy days perfect Formula 1 here I come yeah we'll, exactly we'll talk to Fernando after this yeah, well don't take my driving you wouldn't mind <laughs> leave so, it with me there's a fourth car maybe coming okay. so if we could get you that can, sorted you'll call me you? yeah, I'll call you I'll call you I'm going to call him well, we've covered facial hair and feet. I uh, know. Yeah, so uh, we've That's done well. things ticked off what, what, on my, uh, my what's, what's left? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's chuck a few quick ones at you. Yeah, sure. Where are you going to be in 10 years' time? Hopefully as a world champion, somewhere warm by a beach at this time of the year. That sounds nice. No, I'm just kidding. At a racetrack. Everywhere <laughs> at a racetrack, but still hopefully as a world champion. Okay. And idols. Who, who's the, the guy that you, or girl, that you aspire to? It was always Kimi Raikkonen. Give us something you're not very good at. Oh, parking. Oh, I'm parking? Really? I'm so bad at it. So I only learned how to reverse park about a year ago. So I've been on the road for like four years. And just about, I yeah. just crash into everything. I've got such bad spatial awareness if I'm not in a racing car. So if someone goes... Thanks okay. for putting that caveat in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you excited about? Like, what's really getting you going at the moment? Well, this is a bit topical, and I'm not sure whether you guys will be able to join in, but Game of Thrones... Oh, oh dear. Now, no spoilers, please. No, spo- no spoilers <laughs> on here. But, you know, I wasn't really into it until my girlfriend got me into it. And I remember watching it. And at this point, we had just started dating. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll humor you and watch it, one. Yeah. And she left me alone for three days. And I'd completed the entirety of the first season. So I was watching it while I was on the bike training. And still together. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that she got me into that. And we were up at three o'clock in the morning watching the Battle of Winterfell. I don't even know what that is. You, you don't know. I've never how seen you... Game of Thrones. I couldn't name one character. Well, actually, even this though I've watched all the, even though I've watched all the seasons, I still find it difficult to remember the names of the characters. I know the big family names, but like because I never got into TV, and then I watched that, and that's the one mm. series. So like, it's the only thing I'd stay up till three o'clock in the morning to watch. And I'm surprised last... you got away with watching it without your girlfriend because if you start a series together, that is no. But she had watched it before, and she got oh, that's okay. what I mean. Yeah. Ah, so she that. he was watching it for the second time. Oh, and she okay. was like, I I oh, I've never seen Game of Thrones, much like Mr. Motormouth over there. Yeah, I've never seen. Um, it. <laughs> so <laughs> I sat there and I went, yeah, how good is it really? And I watched one episode, and I remember messaging her while I was on the bike, like seven episodes deep in the first season. I was like, this is the best thing yeah. ever. Uh, finally, last question. Um, and this is something we're going to ask all of our guests yes. um, as we as we go through this uh, this podcast journey. How much of your success is about luck and right place, right time, and how much is down to sheer hard work? Oh, that is a question and a half, isn't it? Um, I don't necessarily believe in luck. I think there's that point where you you have to be right place, right time. You can, you know, there's been drivers in my generation that have been obscene. You know, there was one I was a teammate. His name's Nicholas Beer. You've never heard of him. But in that generation that I raced in in karting, he was the hardest kid to beat. He was just obscenely quick. But wrong place, wrong time. And, and now he's just living in Denmark, living the dream. Yeah. Probably. Not, well, not really. He's, he could have been a racing driver. Could have been a very good one. Um, So 
of course you need to be right place right time but you get yourself in the right place and the right time by hard work you know when i wasn't racing i just go to race weekends and just literally hand out cvs with my driving i put together a document and just hand it out and say look if you're ever short for a driver call me and i'd have all my gear in the back i'd have every seat i've ever made that i've gotten my hands on in the back of my car and just go to race weekends on the the small probability i'd, I'd get a drive so the two go hand in hand and i genuinely believe the harder you work the lucky you get yeah um and you if you keep luck, go- yeah and if you yeah. keep going eventually something will turn you you take all the knocks you get back up again and, and eventually you get lucky yeah but it, it doesn't come first time it comes the 160th time you keep doing it so put the two and two together and you get a, a successful career and and you know a successful life if you yeah all of that yeah Great. Well, listen, it's, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming down. Um, I think it's just nice and uh, to have a racing driver who has come from relatively humble beginnings, yeah. um, hasn't had um, you know, parents or a backer who's gone here and his, his uh, millions of pounds, off you go, find your way. Um, you know, hard work combined with some talent um, or a lot of talent sure. um, gets you places. So um, well done on the Fernando Drive. Um, all the best for the rest of the year and let's do this again yeah can't wait thank you guys for having me um, all the best with, with Motor Mouth and hopefully I'll be back in the not too uh, distant future representing and who knows maybe doing some more stuff we'll see yeah, yeah. absolutely lovely thanks Great. guys thanks Callum Cheers. Thank you for listening to the first Motormouth podcast and special thanks to everyone who made it happen and especially Callan for coming on as our first guest. Expect to hear and see more from Callan in the future. We'll be back very soon with our next episode. But in the meantime, do make sure you like and subscribe and please do leave us a review. We'd love to get your thoughts and make sure you check out Motormouth online and on all our socials at Motormouth underscore on Twitter at Motormouth underscore official on Instagram and you can just search Motormouth on Facebook. You can also sign up be the first to hear about our app launching very soon just head to motormouth.club and we'll see you next time for more motormouth action